And uh, so I appreciate you coming out this morning. I don't want to take a lot of time, but I do want to say uh, that we're here today to encourage, to lift up uh, each other as men, and uh, we're, we're excited about this opportunity. We have uh, a couple of speakers that are going to speak to you this morning that we're so excited about, and, and I'm going to ask that you give uh, ear to them. Listen uh, to the Word of God, the first, uh, the first up, I guess you could say, the first one to bat uh, is Brother Brian Tier. Uh, certainly needs no introduction, but we appreciate him this morning, and let's say God bless Brother Brian Tier. Thank you, Meryl. I'm not usually one to lead off. You know, I, I bat way late in the order because I'm slow. But uh, that's okay. We'll do it a little different today. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're all here. I'm really looking forward to, to hearing Jason and Brother Paul. I hope that you'll come back one day with that old bell that you stole from the monastery. Remember that bell? Come back and do that story one day. Just a little icebreaker here. Would, would you all be most comfortable if you were in a, in a room or in a group of all women, like if there were a thousand women in a room and it was just you, would you be comfortable? Most of you, just, yeah, Vernell doesn't count. <laughs> just one woman. She's worth a thousand. What about if it was the other way around? What about if here this morning, are you most comfortable in a room full of men? It's just guys. Most of you nodding your head and some of you, some of you not sure. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. It's just an interesting fact, okay? The truth is for me, I'm not comfortable in either one of those settings. I'm not, when I go to men's conference at Tioga, it feels weird to me. It feels kind of icky. I need some women. Yeah. Now, I had a, we had a, 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 a bridal shower for uh, Emily Matthews at my house, and there were 65 women in my house that day. I wasn't comfortable, man. I went in the closet, stayed there till they all left. <laughs> but there are certain women that just make me more comfortable socially. My wife is, it's not just anybody, okay? It, just, it can't be anybody, but my wife is that way. She lends balance to me. Sister Murphy's one of those women. There's a few others who just, when they're there, I feel comfortable. They offer a, a beauty and a tenderness and a balance that, that men just can't seem to muster, balance. So understand that I'm not at my most comfortable socially this morning, but I still love you. When I was asked to speak this morning, I began to think about uh, what, what direction I would go, what, what would come to me, what would show up in, in this old brain, and it really wasn't long before I, I came up with uh, or, or God planted a thought that I, I needed to begin to develop. And I want to talk to you today about intentional relationships, intentional relationships. Intentionality is not an attribute that we as men uh, typically struggle with. Historically, men are very intentional. We do things with a great deal of intention. You, you can look back at a lot of human achievements in, in the world in the past, and you can know that they weren't done without a great deal of thought and cognitive effort and intention. You can think about some of the ones that came to mind for me were the Panama Canal. You know, it was a big deal. It was built in the late 1800s. 239 million yards of material were moved for that project. 
in a time where heavy equipment really didn't exist. There's people and some, you know, that's a big deal. Do the math on that. It's 100 acres, 1,500 feet deep, just to, to give you an idea of the scale of that operation. That didn't happen by chance. There had to be a team of very intentional people from the top to the bottom, visionaries that say this is what we need to do. They were intentional engineers, designers, developers, construction workers, laborers, people with shovels. They all had to be very intentional. What about Henry Ford's production line? Surely that wasn't a, a knee-jerk reaction to a circumstance, but it had to be an act of great intentionality. He had a vision for what could be and began to actively seek ways to implement a system by which he could mass-produce autom automobiles that were more affordable to the general public and more reliable to the consumer. Henry Ford was intentional in that development. What about in the 60s when America decided to put a man on the moon? You know, it's not like they said, hey, Buzz, <coughs> we're going to put you on a plane and we just going to fly you to the moon and we want you to plant a flag up there. <laughs> we'll be okay, buddy. Be all right. No. It was intentional. Thousands of people, men and women, a great deal of planning and thought and money, a lot of intention. As a matter of fact, as we sit in this room today, you've been hearing on the radio possibly this week about a robot named Curiosity that as we're sitting here is on Mars. That's hard for me to get. There's a robot that we put on Mars at a cost of $2.5 billion so that it could roam around and take pictures and send us back. Not happenstance. That's intention. It takes a great deal of intention. intention. There's no doubt in my mind that, that many of you in this room have had successes in your intention this morning. There are things you've, you have done. Some of you have earned degrees, and some of you work at good jobs, and some of you worked at good jobs for many years, and, and that was all a result of some intention that you set out for. You made an intentional decision at some point to do something. You know, Jason has a master's in English education, I think, and he, he intended at some point, and he said, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to obtain this credential. And that was an act of intentionality. But then after that, there were all kind of subsequent acts that followed up that decision. It wasn't just the romantic big decision. It was the follow-up. It was getting up every day and going to class and studying. And the same thing applies in jobs and, and everything that you do. So what is intention? Intention is an individual's specific purpose in performing an action. The action that is intentional has been thought out. All potential variables have been applied in theory, and the theoretical results have been weighed and measured against an actual objective that is being sought. Intentionality, folks, is work. Intentionality is work. But my question is this morning, are there some areas in our lives, and when I say our lives, I don't want you to think in general terms, okay? We're not talking about the UPC or whatever organization you're a part of. I'm talking about you. You know, Brother Paul, Merrill, Shasson, I'm talking about you. Are there some areas in your life where you lack the characteristic of intentionality that is so readily apparent in so many other areas, in the places that you've achieved? Are there some areas that we simply 
leave to chance. Or there's some where we aren't so intentional, but rather we're only reactionary. We're only reactionary. An area where we don't act unless we're acted upon. My observation is this, is that while historically men have demonstrated, and when I say men and when I say my observation, understand that I'm just talking about me, okay? I hide behind those words. But this is what I've observed about myself. While I have demonstrated a well-refined ability to, to to, the concept of intentionality, conquering tasks, and achieving feats, I have at times substituted reaction for intention when it comes to developing relationships. Let me start with, with the one that's the most apparent here today. Does anybody happen to know what the largest living organism on the earth is? Anybody? Yes? No? Good answer, and it's the one I would have thought of, but it is incorrect. You lose. <laughs> the largest living organism on earth is actually a grove of aspen trees in Utah. It measures 106 acres, and the reason that that's unique is because aspen trees grow from the same root. You see that the tree, it, it looks like a forest full of trees, but it's actually a root system that grows in sprouts. It's 106 acres, and every sprout in that grove is genetically identical. Every sprout is genetically identical. That's kind of how I see the church. We all look like, you know, we look like a bunch of trees growing in the forest, and we look alike. Our, our, maybe our leaves are the same, and geometrically we're different. Our, our branches sprout at different places, and some of us are a little bigger than others, and some of us are a little shorter and taller than others. But there's something that makes us common beneath the surface. You see, it's not the roots that connect us. It's not that a tree grows and then the roots grow together. It's the fact that the root exists before the sprout does. The basis is what's there and what we grow from. It's Jesus that's in the ground, and the church grows from his basis. The church grows from his basis. Look around. Everybody just take a second and look around. Now, you've seen each other. Look each other in the eye. Kind of, it's okay. Yeah. Y'all get the lay of the land. See who's here. So when you, when you got here this morning, you fixed your coffee and somebody shook your hand and said, you know, how's it going today, buddy? Or what's kicking chicken or whatever your, your colloquialism for saying hello is. How'd you feel about that? When you were asked, what was your first thought? Did you feel pride on, you know? Did you feel like you were really being asked a question or, or you were supposed to just give that, that pat answer that I'm fine, everything's good? Or did you feel cared about? What about when, it, when the roles were reversed? What about when you asked someone today how they were doing? What did you mean? When you greeted someone, what was your posture? Were you really silently hoping for that standard answer so there wouldn't be any awkwardness? You know, you just that hoping they're going to say, everything's fine, man, I'm doing great, thanks for asking. Or did you ask with intention? Was there real concern in you? Not what, I don't care about what you wanted them to see. You didn't exercise the Pentecostal facial muscle, you know, brother, how you doing? 
not what they thought, but what was inside for real. That's a, that's a Sherryism right there. The PFUM muscle, for those of you who don't know, Pentecostal facial muscle. Did you ask with intention? And how would you have responded to that person if they would have given you a hard truth about themselves in that moment? Would you have backed up or would you have engaged? I'm talking about intention in relationships. This is the relationship that we exhibit with each other, men to men, brothers in Christ. I've come to the realization that I need my friends. This is new to me, okay? I've always uh, struggled with kind of the idea of being a lone ranger type, that I could manage on my own, that I was resourceful emotionally and mostly just hard, you know. I could just handle it. And I've come to understand that's just not true. It's just not true. I need my friends. It's not a preference. It's not a desire. It's not an option. It's, it's I need. I've got to have it. If I'm going to be healthy and, and reasonably useful in the church and in my life, I need my friends. So regardless of my position of being in need or being needed, I want to be intentional in developing the relationships that God has planted in my life. What about the relationships that we have with our children? And Cole's here so he can call me out this morning if he so chooses. How do our children perceive us as their fathers? I wonder if we, if we actively seek ways to connect with them or are we just reactionary about it? Are we intentional in finding ways to relate to them? As I thought about this, you know, I wondered if, if Cole or one of my sons had ever galloped up to me in the, in the living room excited, you know, with a DS or a new Nintendo game or something that I would have absolutely no interest in. And I wonder how I reacted to them. I wonder if I took, if I seized the moment to engage what he was saying, or did I just, you know, shoo-shoo. I'm, I'm really not interested in that. What about my daughter? Has Ella ever danced into my presence and sporting some new Barbie doll or some dress or something that she liked? Did I take the time? Did I engage? Or was it just shoo-shoo? Because, you know, that's, that's really not my thing. These are examples of children being intentional by nature. Their, their intention is to gain our attention. And if we're not intentional in recognizing that, then we put that relationship at a decided disadvantage later. Because one day, not too far away, Cole here is going to be a teenager. And if I haven't been intentional in making a connection with him now when he wants it, when it's natural for him to, to want to be with dad, I'm going to really, really struggle when he doesn't want it in five years. We must be intentional in relating to our kids. I think about Jesus, and, and I, I, don't, I, I didn't really circle out a lot of Scripture in this, but if you just think about broadly the way that Jesus dealt with his apostles, you know, they were the inner circle. Everything that he did was intentional. Now, reaction has its place. It, there are times when you have to react, but that happens inside of intention. 
if there's no intention and there's only reaction, then there's no progress towards a goal. You with me? Jesus had a goal. He was here for a purpose. And he reacted at times. When circumstances were brought to him, he reacted. He did things to address those circumstances. But ultimately, he had an intention. And he dealt with the people that he was in contact here based on that intention. What about our wives? For those of us who are married, and if you're not married and you're going to be married, you need to pay extra special attention. What about our wives? Are we intentional in developing closer relationships with our wives? It would seem to me that this particular relationship would be the most natural to develop for us. It, it would seem that our wives are the closest people to us. Therefore, it would kind of happen on its own. Does that make sense, Troy? But it's not true, is it? It's exactly the opposite for whatever reason. Maybe, that's, maybe that doesn't apply to you, but I have to say it applies to me. My opinion is worth exactly what it costs you here today, okay? But understand, I believe that we actually neglect our wives the most, and I believe it's probably got to something to do with the fact that we've kind of already conquered them. I'll give that a little thought for a minute. We've already conquered them. You know, they're married to us now, and they're pretty much stuck. So why do we need to continue to, to work and fight and be uncomfortable in the direction that we go with them. We've already we conquered them. We've attained their vow, and we wouldn't admit it. But on some weird level, we feel like once we're married, we've won that battle, and it's time to rest. It's time to rest. But nothing could be less true. Our marriages need the highest level of intentionality of any of the human relationships that we create. We cannot afford to wait until we are acted on by a crisis to respond in our marriages. Instead of playing marital defense all the time, we've got to take the ball and we've got to play some offense. We've got to play some offense with the goal being meeting the emotional needs of our spouses. Has your wife ever asked you a question that you clearly wouldn't know the answer to? You know, uh, baby, which shoes do you like better? Baby, does this dress make me look like an eggplant? You know? I mean, how are you supposed to answer that kind of question? Baby, which one of these pictures looks better over the mantle? I mean, you could go on and on and on. Those questions are endless. You remember the questions about the response to your kids? It's the same question. Did you stay disengaged in that moment? when she asked those questions by saying something like, oh, whatever you like, honey. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Or seriously, you want my opinion on that? Please, child. Come on. <laughs> you see, that's, that's a front for being disconnected. It's a front for being disengaged and not engaging the marriage. She is essentially doing the same thing the child did. She's looking for some reason to connect. She's not going to ask you about your browning rifle, okay? She doesn't know anything about that. She's going to look for some way to connect with you somehow. So how did you respond? Would it be possible for us to stop and realize that she's covertly being intentional 
in trying to develop more of a relationship with you, looking for a way to connect, maybe hoping to see a spark of interest that she's starving for for so, so long. The Bible instructs us in Ephesians 5 and 25, you all know the scripture, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We need to be constantly thinking of ways that we can cultivate and affirm the love that we have for wives, our wives. We should be actively looking for ways and methods to keep that most human, that most important human relationship alive and well. We struggle with this concept, though, don't we? Men, I mean. Y'all don't know. Y'all ain't none of y'all. Merrill is. Jason is. But we, we struggle with that concept. And I believe it's got a lot to do with the fact that men and women relate to people and each other differently. It's been said that, um, that women develop relationships face-to-face, looking at each other. And men develop relationships side by side, shoulder to shoulder. That makes a lot of sense to me. Women, they just they go past all the, the other stuff, and they just talk about their relationship. They just, they just address the actual thing. Men don't do that. Men play softball and golf, go hunting and build things together and cut grass. And they do things side by side. And that's, it's fine, and it, it works for us. But what happens when you put a man and a woman together and you want them to develop a relationship and you want things to get better and to flow? And what happens then? You wind up with a woman talking to the side of a man's head. And she's wondering, why won't he look at me? And he's wondering, why won't the woman line up her shoulders and let's go do something? So what happens? She talks louder to the side of the head and he works harder. And so it goes, and it, it escalates, and it gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> but the right perspective, as one of my friends in this room has taught me, is to put God first before any of that. Put God in the middle. You both work on God first. And then you get to each other. And when it's time to get to each other, you know, you're both going to have to make concessions. I will have to look at my wife and engage the way she engages. I'll have to look at her and just talk and just develop. Yeah, baby, I'm, I'm mad because of this. Or I love you because of that. This is nice about you and this is ugly about me. And she'll have to make some, some similar concessions. She might have to go play ball with me or play golf. Or she'll have to do something. We'll have to maybe make some accomplishments together. That's good. When you do that, the relationship takes on a new life. It's not um, a responsibility anymore. It's not a, a task or something that you have to maintain, something that's a lot of work. It becomes rewarding. It becomes renewable is the word I like. It, it becomes sustainable. But here's the question, guys, for this morning. The question is simply, do we? Do we? Let's be completely honest with ourselves. Let Brian be honest with Brian. Brother Dixon will be honest with himself and so on down the line. When we're pressed about opening up, when we're pressed about maybe being affectionate, have you ever used that excuse, you know, that's, that's just not me. I'm just 
not like that. Have you ever said that? I've said that. I use that one for a long time. But the problem is, and that's probably true, I'm, I'm not like that. But just because I'm not like that doesn't mean that's not the way I'm supposed to be. You know, is it okay to not be compassionate and just say, hmm, you know, I'm just not like that? That's not what Jesus said. How many, how many things could we apply that statement to in our lives? You know, I'm just not like that. I just, I just don't care. I'm just not like that. We wouldn't accept that statement with any of those things, but for some reason it's been socially acceptable here. I'm not a romantic. I'm just not like that. Won't work. So I'm saying today, men, be thoughtful. Be intentional. Don't act in your relationships with, with each other, with your children, with your wives. I knew I would run out of time. There's another one that's really important, and it's with God. Don't wait till you're acted upon to act. Make a plan. Do something ahead of time. Give it some thought like you would your job, like the project you have to build or the report you have to finish. You wouldn't just wait until somebody said, hey, Cooper, how come that ain't done yet? You're thinking about it ahead of time. Be intentional with each other. Be intentional with your kids. Be intentional with your wives. Be intentional with your God. Thank you for your attention. Wasn't that incredible? And uh, I appreciate, Brother Brian, that, uh, that presentation. And you're definitely giving me something to think about. And uh, being...